Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. What's up, everyone? And welcome back to What We Said Podcast. I'm JC, and this is my host, Chelsea. My host. My co-host. Thank you. I am the host <laughs> of this podcast. Thank you guys for being here. If you are new, welcome to the podcast. Um, happy Tuesday, guys. Hope you are all having a great start to your week. It's the best day of the week. It really, it's what truly we said is. Tuesday. Um, so this week, we decided to talk about true crime. Chelsea and I are both big true crime fans were very uh we get very invested in different true crime documentaries and stories and we always call each other and talk about it and we're like we should bring this to the podcast i don't know if we've talked much about true crime on our show i mean we've mentioned it here or there but i don't think we've actually taken a deep dive yeah so we have some stories we're kind of gonna go if you listen to my favorite murder mfm style where we both share a true crime story that we um you know researched but before that, first of all, Chelsea's done some research on why women love true crime and kind of what that draw is. And it's kind of fascinating. So we'll talk about that as well. But I did want to give a trigger warning and kind of a disclaimer that we are going to be sharing like some gruesome details. Um, if you're not a fan of crime or murder stories, um, or things like that, then this is definitely not the episode for you. And we just want you guys to be aware of that before you start listening so that you're not uncomfortable or you don't, you know, mm-hmm. get triggered. And we way. will try to end on a positive note. Yeah. I'll share a happy thing at the end and we'll end positively. But we don't want this episode to be a downer by any means. We're, we just find it interesting. So, mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting why people love true crime so much. It is kind of a phenomenon. So I did research a little bit why people love true crime, but also more importantly, not more importantly, I'm like women are more important than men, (laughs) but more, I don't know, towards us, why women love true crime so much. So thank you, Google, for giving me the answers that I was so desperately seeking. For women, true crime does a lot of things for them. So we were actually talking about this last night because we were in New York and we were saying, why in New York do people feel the need to stare creepily, like say things to you, like catcall? It's it's weird because it doesn't happen in a lot of other cities where I've been at least. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it does, but New York, it definitely happens. All the time. Like we've had it happen to us five times, times at least since being here. So we, me and JC were discussing it and we were like, okay, what do we do? Do we just ignore them? Because JC was kind of saying like, just ignore them. They want a reaction. And my husband has said the, the same thing. And I was thinking, yeah, that's true. But I've also heard that you're supposed to call them out and then they feel awkward because they're not expecting it. And 
yeah, they're usually not doing anything super, you know, they're not ready to like attack or something. They're just being creepy, weirdo, grosso guys. But they usually don't get called out. And then when they do, they feel awkward. And it kind of makes them think about what they just said. So we were ta- I was talking to my husband about it, and I was kind of making him worried because I'm like, what are you doing this? And he's like, I do not want to think about that right now. It's so scary. You guys are just in New York, yeah. two girls. But I looked it up. This is kind of going on a tangent, but I think it's important to know. When you're getting catcalled, if they're saying something, you kind of have to assess the situation and, and assess your safety. If you really feel like maybe you're alone on a street and it's it feels unsafe, just get out of there as fast as possible. Um, but if you're like, you know, on a street and some guy just says something like, you know, hey, sweetie, or like smile, like, why aren't you smiling? Saying something that makes you feel awkward, makes you feel embarrassed, um, angry, irritated, kind of call them out on it. Don't, they said, don't swear. Don't be like, F you, man. Cause that kind of gets them going. Upset. Yeah. But if you just say something negative and stare at them in the eyes and say something like, can I help you? Or what, and maybe ask them to repeat it. Like, what did you just say? Or they even said on the website, take a photo of them and ask them to say it again. Because it makes them be like, oh, whoa, whoa, sorry. And it's like, yeah, don't freaking talk to me when I'm walking down the street minding my own business. Yeah. Wow, what a power move. I'm going to yeah. do that next time. Yeah. I say that now. I'll probably run away scared. Yes. <laughs> Tail between your legs. But I tried it yesterday. Yeah, you did, Chelsea. And, and you did good. Because I, I wanted to know kind of, I usually don't say anything. So I'm like, I wonder how it's whatever. And I felt like it wasn't unsafe. He was just being creepy and just staring, legit staring. You know, when you make eye contact with someone, they don't break it. And you're like, dude, what mind you your at? own business. Why are you staring at us? And we were staying there. We were like taking pictures and we started walking away and he was still staring at us. So I looked back and I made like a what gesture? Like, can I help you gesture? And he kind of like made his eyes like, whoa, what? Like, hey. Yeah. And I was like, can I help you? And he was like, oh, just looking. Like, got so awkward. And I was like, okay, good. Now I need to think about being a creeper. And yeah, because he, it wasn't just staring. It was like staring kind of a creepy smile. It was like just, sitting outside of his car, like yeah. leaning against it, just staring at us. us, taking – yeah, it was not okay. It was not okay. Anyway, so this leads me into the first point is that true crime helps women understand and maybe helps them identify dangerous situations and helps them know maybe what to do. In those situations, for example, like when you walk to your car, like lock your car immediately. Don't sit in your car in a parking lot once you get your groceries in. Get on your phone, like lock the car door the second you close the door and And get get out of there. Don't be messing around. I've been traveling, you guys. I've been on the go. And I've been a little bit off my fitness game, if we're being honest. But today, I'm very excited to get back at it, go to the gym, and guess what I'm going to wear? I'm going to wear my Power Hold leggings from Fabletics. I have mentioned these to you guys before. These are some of my favorite leggings ever. They just hold you in, suck you in, they're all the right places. And I get the um, 7 eighths length because they fit my petite frame the best. And so for all my short girls out there, you definitely need to check these out. They have a ton of different styles and colors of leggings, um, but the power holds are my favorite. Chelsea, what is your favorite thing you own from Fabletics? I too love the power hold leggings, but uh, lately I've been really loving the Mila, like Mila Kunis, but M-I-L-A shorts. They're phenomenal. I have a couple different colors and I'm obsessed. Fabletics was started in 2013 and was co-founded by Kate Hudson. 
The mission behind the brand was basically to create trendy and stylish gym wear that was priced affordably. They have a ton of athletic wear, leggings, gym gear, sports bras, accessories, cute sweatshirts, and jackets to throw on over your gym clothes, which is essential. A ton of options to choose from, and how it works is you take a quick little 60-second style quiz, and then you can shop from a bunch of different pieces that are specifically catered towards you and your style, which I love. Also, make sure to enter your email address at the end of the quiz because then you will get exclusive monthly discounts and you'll get the inside scoop about new collections that have not been released yet. Right now, you guys can get two leggings for only $24 as a VIP using our special link, which is fabletics.com slash what we said. That is two pairs of leggings for $24, which is almost half the price of one Lululemon sports bra. Super affordable and the quality is really great. Also, I feel like it's important to mention that there's no monthly commitment to purchase um, when you sign up as a VIP but there are a ton of perks to signing up like discounts and other great stuff. So again, go to fabletics.com slash what we said to get two leggings for only $24, which is a $99 value. Fabletics.com slash what we said. And we will have this linked in the show notes for you guys. It does make you, I've heard them say that I think on my favorite murder too, is that it does, you hear these stories and although it can make you more paranoid, it also does make you more aware and it kind of teaches you some tips that you yeah. could use if something were to happen, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad that you have to learn from other people, you know, hardships and these like horrible situations, but I'm just saying it's good that we can learn that. Yeah, exactly. And as women, we're very scared all the time. And yeah. so there was this guy at a conference and he went with his wife and they went in there and I don't know what the conference is about, but the main guy on the stage was saying, raise your hand if you've ever felt like you were scared for your life, like any time in your life. And basically everyone raised their hand. And then he's like, okay, everyone who's been like scared um, in the last year. And like some hands went down. He's okay in the last month. Some more hands went down. He's like, how many of you guys were scared in the last week? And like all of these women's hands were up. Like all the men's hands went down, but a lot of women's, their hands were up. Women's? Oh my gosh, <laughs> women. Their hands were up. And the guy was like, my wife's hand was up the whole time. And he was like, what? You're scared? And then the guy was like, raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you were scared in the parking garage on your way in here. And all the women were had their hands up. And the guy was like, I never realized that women are just constantly in a state of fear. It's true. Walking around. It's true. And especially, I'm not, I mean, I think all women, but I feel like because I'm such a small, and you are too, it's like mm-hmm. we're small girls. Yeah. I just feel like it's such an easy target. I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's just scary to think yeah. about. I am one of those girls who plays tough though when I'm like, I even say that to my, I was saying that to my husband last night. I'm like, don't worry, I could take them. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like, I definitely I play, could take them, whatever. I think so too. And I, I think it's important to I, act confident mm-hmm. when you're walking somewhere alone, like head up. Yeah. Not like, that's oh, a like big thing. looking around with your head down, looking at your phone. Like you need to keep oh, your head up. Oh, that's a big up. thing. People think when you're on the phone, like texting or whatever, it makes you more safe because you're like, oh, they know I have a phone. It does not no. make you safe. You have to be looking because if someone's like hiding behind something, yeah, you have to be aware. Yeah, eye contact too. Yeah. And if you are in danger or if you feel – because my husband also was saying this. He's like, well, 
usually you want to ignore some things because they just want a reaction. But if you actually feel like you're in danger, make a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. So I even heard like if you are kind of scared and you're walking maybe down an alley. I don't know why you should you should never be walking down an alley alone. But, you know, say there's someone who's sketching you out. You should be like singing or like whistling and be looking at them in the face to let them know like, hey, I see you and I know what you look like. Right. And just like keep walking and try and make as much like don't just like walk by texting on your phone. Right. Which is your kind of your first instinct. It is your first instinct. And think about I feel like there are certain things that would just throw them off. Yeah. Where it's like imagine if you're walking down a dark alley and they're like, ooh, my target. And then you just start like singing at the top of your lungs or yeah. something. I know that is like the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying they would be so shook. I bet they would be like, wait. Yeah. Plan averted because I'm so confused. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. Versus and also, if you're like so it, sketched out. It takes attention. Like people maybe that are on the street that they're like, oh, you're alone. It makes them be like, okay, someone's going to hear. You know, someone right. can hear them right now. So that's a tip. This what didn't mean to be tips, but I think it's really good to yeah. know these tips. And we should definitely go into this more, I think, on yeah. a different podcast episode. Maybe tips for women. For sure. Wait, that's a really good idea. We yeah. should do that for sure. Also, I was telling JC last night. So I was getting into this last night. I was looking it up. You can pop somebody's eyeball out. So if attacker grabs you and you're facing them, you know, so like you're chest to chest kind of, and you can somehow get your arms up near their face, if you stick your thumb in by their eye, like by the bridge of their nose, like kind of where their um, tear duct is, mm -hmm. and you push in as hard as you can, and then you scoop your thumb and pull out like to the side, you can literally pop their eyeball out. That is terrifying. Or if you can, you hit them in the nose, like upwards, and it'll break their nose. Or poke them in the eye. Oh. Eyes are the best place to go for because then they can't see. I always just think of Miss Congeniality. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. You're lying. I think I've seen parts With of it. With Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Wait, we got to watch that. I, I think I've only seen parts of it. Iconic movie. What does she do? She, like her talent in her, because she's like in a pageant, is like yeah. self-defense. And it's like, you just I'm have to dead. watch it. Okay, don't you guys dare skip through this ad because this is one of my all-time favorite partnerships for Sigmatic. So Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit our immunity, energy, and longevity and help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I do not actually love mushrooms that much. So I love Four Sigmatic because I get the benefits of having mushroom in my diet, but I don't have to straight up eat a mushroom, okay? None of their drinks taste like mushrooms, but you get all the benefits. Four Sigmatic really believes in the magic of functional mushrooms to enhance your well-being. They make a ton of different products, and they're super easy to use. They have, like, just little sing single-serve packets that you just pour in water for at-home use, or they have K-cup coffee pods. And I love their products so much. I love their chai mix. It's really, really good. Um, I love doing that with oat milk. I love their hot cacao. I also will do that with half water, half oat milk. I'll add some like coconut milk creamer in there. It is so delicious. You can add sweetener to any of them if you feel like you need that. But honestly, the flavor is so good and the ingredients are good. It's just a perfect little nighttime treat. You guys probably know that I love turmeric lattes. Turmeric has a ton of health benefits and it's really good for your skin. So I love that one. So if you guys want to try it out, they have a ton of different blends. They have mushroom coffee, different elixirs, hot cacaos, um, matcha, superfood blends, a ton of different stuff. And they even have other products now. So you guys need to go to their website because this is a really cool up and coming brand. So 
We have a special offer for you guys. Of course, as always, you can receive 15% off of your Four Sigmatic purchase. Go to foursigmatic.com slash what we said or use the discount code what we said at checkout. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash what we said. And this will be linked in the description for you guys too. Okay, so now we're getting back into why people love true crime and especially women. So one out of every six women in the United States has been a victim of an attempted or completed rape. Women also account for 70% of the victims of serial killers who murdered between 1985 and 2010. And that is primarily because that there is a sexual motive be- behind most mass killers. Mm. So it's like there's an obvious reason why we're scared all the time. Definitely. True crime fiction also takes th- seriously things that the broader culture maybe looks down on. So, for example, women not being happy to be mothers, uh, feeling trapped by motherhood, imbalance in the home, you know, between the husband and a wife. Kind of brings those things to light that I yeah. talked about that much. Because yes. those are a lot of time behind the scenes of those certain situations. Exactly, yeah. It kind of is like, oh, wow, these things really are happening. Behind this, they it always starts out as the perfect American family, and it's mm-hmm. like, nope, behind the scenes was not. Another thing is another reason why I love true crime so much, and I think why you do too, is because you can play detective and it mm-hmm. teaches you so much about the justice system and you know, police work and investigating. And I think as women, we have this innate ability to be so observe, like observant and you know, notice little things and figure something out. And I always tell my husband, I'm like, if you're lying to me, I will figure it out within seconds. I will find out. I don't even mean to, and I will find yeah. out. <laughs> because women are so good at it, I feel like. So it's true. I always wanted to be a detective. That's why I play Nancy Drew computer games. Women can relate to the victims. It brings like a weird comfort that we're all kind of like in this together. Yeah. Women want to face their fears, but it can make them worse sometimes. So this is kind of how you were feeling and why you had to take a hiatus. Yeah. So I was listening to a lot of true crime podcasts. I was watching true crime documentaries all the time because I do find it so fascinating. But I did find myself becoming very paranoid Mm -hmm. to the point where it just felt… You're more fearful. Yeah. I was more fearful than educated almost. And I'm like, I need to take a break from listening to all this stuff because… It can kind of make your mind a little bit darker sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's dark, heavy stuff a lot of times. And it's like after I would listen to something, I'm like, ooh, I got to listen to something happy or watch Friends or something because I'm like… Friends is the perfect show to put on after that. Because I'm just like, I'm feeling stressed out. And especially if I would like watch a true crime show at night and then go to bed, I'm like, I feel so scared. Like I feel like someone is going to come in and take me tonight. And that's exactly. Just, it's not fun to feel that way. So I think everything in moderation. I still find it so interesting and I, you know, I'm a fan. But also I sometimes need to take some breaks because it just makes me feel sketched out. And yeah. also then whenever I'm alone, I'm terrified. terrified. Absolutely. I know. I used to watch Criminal Minds every night and oh. then go to bed. And I'd be like, why do I have bad dreams? Yeah. And Nick's like, you're watching serial killers. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, true. Yeah, because I think women go into it with the intention of like learning how to, you know, protect themselves and prevent things. But then it turns into them becoming hyper aware and very fearful. So it almost does the opposite. So yeah, I, I agree. Moderation. Um, and then last thing that they said is 
serving as the place women can go to read about the dark, messy stuff of their lives that they're not supposed to talk about. So uh, domestic abuse, serial predation, sexual assault, troubled family lives, conflicted feelings about motherhood, the weight of trauma, partner violence, and the myriad ways the justice system can fail and silence women. So I think that's about all of them. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons why people love true crime, but I, I found those very interesting and they make sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So we're going to read our favorite murders. We're kind of doing a My Favorite Murder episode. So, JC, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, this— So we decided to do this episode. So this isn't necessarily one that's popular or that I had heard of before, but I wanted to do— This one was in Arizona. And so— And hometown. yours was too, right? Yeah. We're doing hometown murders. Yeah, hometown. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, my state. So maybe I'll do this. So my story is about Robert Williams Fisher. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay, well, he is an American fugitive, and he is still wanted. <gasps> Excuse me. Why'd you have to do one of those? I'm sorry. <laughs> so he is wanted for the alleged murder of his wife and two children and blowing up the house in which they lived in, Scottsdale, Arizona, in 2001. Oh, my gosh. So he was named by FBI as the 475th fugitive to be placed on the list of FBI 10 most wanted fugitives in 2002. Uh, so he was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1961. So how old is he? We got to calculate that because, like, how old does that make him now? Wait, what year was he born? I said, this is when you don't I know, listen, sorry. girl. I know, I just realized I, I didn't said listen to I said 1961. Year. 2019. I'm, I'm doing the math. Don't worry. Well, he was 40 when the crime happened. So now he's 59. Oh, that's not old enough. He's 58, I think. I was hoping he'd be Yuck. like 80 at this point, so he would just be possibly, you know. No, he's literally our father's age. Amazing. Okay, so he was born in Brooklyn, New York. You know, so it's really relating to everything. We're, we were just in Brooklyn last night. And his dad was a banker. He has two sisters. And he they moved to Arizona, so he attended high school in Arizona. And then his parents got divorced in 1976 when he was 15 years old. And according to his friends and relatives, the divorce was really, really hard on him. Mm -hmm. And it left long-lasting effects on him. And he spoke of it with coworkers and stuff and confided to people that, like, his life could have been very different if his mother had not left the family. So. Nice foreshadowing. He is a U.S. Navy veteran, and he got married to Mary Cooper in 1987. He's worked as a surgical catheter technician, a respiratory therapist, and a firefighter is an avid outdoorsman, hunter, and fisherman. He was described— I'm scared. He's in the forest living. He was described as a cruel and distant control freak of a father who was awkward with his children, but tried to hold on to an image as a devoted family man. That's what you're saying, where it's like, it's always this perfect, you know, mm -hmm. loving family, but behind the scenes, it's just sketch town. So his mother-in-law told investigators that Fisher did not socialize often with, with family because of a fear of getting too close to people and losing them. Mm. Which is sad. Um, so Fisher's mother told investigators that she had been a yes-sir wife who did not stand up to her husband. Um, she added that she saw similar dynamics early in her son's marriage to Mary. So his mom is saying that she was always, like, controlled by his dad. Yeah. So that's kind of what he knew as marriage, you know? And then she said that he saw she saw that same thing in his own marriage. Yeah. Her son's marriage to Mary. And she had talked to Mary about her concerns. So one close friend of Fisher stated that his family now resembled his childhood family, which obviously wasn't the best because yeah. he didn't have a great childhood, it appears. So 
Fisher had been an active member of the Scottsdale Baptist Church's men ministry, but unlike his wife Mary, he had begun to withdraw from his activities a few months prior to the murders. In 1988, the Fishers went to their church's senior pastor for marital counseling, um, and Fisher told co-workers about a one-night affair with a prostitute that he had met in a massage parlor. He was scared that Mary would find out that it was the cause of a UTI that he had that left <gasps> him ill for several days. So he told a hunting mate that Ew. He, yeah. He told a hunting mate that he had that he was renewing his commitment to his faith and his marriage because he could not live without his family. Um, and he they were saying possibly hinting that he would consider suicide over divorce. Like he was like, I really need to make this work. So in the weeks before her death, Mary told several friends that she was going to divorce Fisher. A neighbor reported hearing a loud argument on April 9th at 10:30 p.m., approximately 10 hours before their house blew up in an explosion. An explosion? Yep. So, on the morning of April 10th, 2001, Mary was shot in the back of her head, and her children's throats were slashed from ear to ear in the hours before their house exploded at 8.42 a.m. Wait, how did they find that out? We'll go into that. Oh, okay. So, firefighters were immediately alerted to the explosion, which was strong enough to collapse the front brick wall and rattle the frames of neighboring houses for a half mile in all directions. Firefighters kept the 20-foot high blaze from spreading to other homes, a series of smaller secondary explosions believed to be caused by either rifle ammunition or paint cans forced them to keep their distance. One suffered minor injuries to his leg when he lost his balance. So this is like firefighters getting hurt Dang. too. The gas line from the back of the house's furnace had been pulled out in an attempt to conceal evidence of the homicides. The accumulating gas was later ignited by a candle that Fisher had allegedly lit, waiting for the gas to accumulate and descend to the flame hours before being lit. This delayed fuse would have given Fisher an approximate 10-hour head start in his successful attempt to evade law enforcement. The burned bodies of a woman and two children were found lying in bed in the remains of the burnt-out house. They were identified as Mary, age 38, and her two children, Brittany, age 12, and Bobby, age 10. Inve- oh my gosh, that is so sad. Investigators theorized that Fisher murdered his family because he felt threatened by Mary's intent to divorce him and did not want his ch- children to go through what he did as a child. So we'll get into the investigation now. So awful. Like, horrible. I just. I hear this story horrifying. a lot where the dad does that because he, he thinks it's the best thing for the family. And I'm like, Bro. Fisher, who who disappeared at the time of the murders, was named as an official and to date only person of interest in the case. So there was literally no one else that they're yeah. like, oh, they could have done this. Because obviously he disappeared. So it's like, well, <laughs> where yeah. he at? Yeah. On April 20th, the last physical evidence of Fisher's whereabouts surfaced when police found Mary's Toyota 4Runner and their dog Blue in Tonto National Forest near the town of Young, Arizona, 100 miles north of Scottsdale. Was the dog alive? I think so. Aww. Um, Well, I'm hoping. Although police searched the area around where the car was found, they did not search the nearby network of caves sufficiently, and several professional cavers have suggested that Fisher used these as a hiding place before either escaping, killing himself, or dying from low oxygen levels. (gasps) Um, on July 19th, a state arrest warrant was issued in Phoenix, charging Fisher with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of arson. Subsequently, he was declared a fugitive, and a federal arrest warrant was issued by the United States, blah, 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 um, charging him with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. On June 29th, 2002, Fisher was named by the FBI 
as the 475th fugitive to be placed on the 10 most wanted list. He was also on the America's Most Wanted Dirty Dozen list of the show's most notorious fugitives and was profiled on blah, blah, blah. Amazing. So the FBI offers a reward of up to $100,000 for information leading to his capture. As of April 2003, FBI had received hundreds and hundreds of leads. However, all reported sightings of Fisher have been inconclusive or false. Um, In February of 2004, an individual with a striking physical resemblance to Fisher was arrested in Vancouver, Canada. Um, And they eventually confirmed, though, that he was not Fisher. They they did the fingerprints and stuff. Yeah. So he was held by Canadian police for about a week before. Jeez. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, the unluckiness of that. Oh, my gosh. So the FBI alerted local law enforcement in 2012 that Fisher may be living in the Payson area of Arizona— um, in October 2014, police raided a house in Colorado after receiving a tip that Fisher was hiding there. And despite arresting two occupants, they did not find any sign of Fisher. Fisher is considered armed and extremely dangerous and has ties to Florida and New Mexico. There has been speculation that he has committed suicide or started a new life under an assumed identity. Um, FBI agent Caldwell's sense of his personality and habits is that he is arrogant, cocky, and know-it-all and a loner. He chews tobacco and favors the Copenhagen brand, sometimes walks in in an odd, erect manner with his chest out due to back pain, and is an avid hunter and fisherman. In April 2016, FBI officials in Scottsdale Police displayed new age, new age-enhanced photos of Fisher during a news conference on the 15th anniversary of the murders. <gasps> so they, you is know, he the creepiest looking person ever? Mm, you know, he doesn't look too... He's kind of unassuming, to be honest. But they've done... It's crazy how they do the age-enhanced thing mm-hmm. to try and show what they would look like now. But not they terrifying. Use the face yeah. Honestly, the face app is so accurate. It scares <laughs> it is me. scary. It's well, ac- I don't know if it's accurate, me. but it looks so realistic is what I meant. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that is so terrifying to me because it's like you just don't know. Yeah. It's you like really he could don't. be dead and, it, you know, everything. The unknown be, is but the, the scariest. unknown is the most terrifying part. Oh, that's so sad. His I wish poor kids. I know, and I wish we had a little more info as to like what, like why, because it, yeah. it was just kind of like the thing was is that there's no one to ask besides yeah. you know because besides his friends or coworkers or whatever, right? And he only mm-hmm. confided certain things in them, like the only people who know the depths of you know, yeah, their marriage and like everything that was going on is them. And yeah, she's gone. I feel like a lot of the father killing the sons or killing the kids and the wife, like the family murders, it comes from the dad thinking they're doing something better than they would. Like, oh, death is a better route than whatever else it is. And it's like… Never. Uh, never the answer. Sam, no. You know. Uh, that's so sad. So sad. Who wants to go viral? on social media, guys, and become famous overnight. Well, no promises, but there is a class specifically on Skillshare for going viral, talking about writing, filming, and making content that people share, which I actually think is a really interesting class, and I want to take it because it's basically teaching you how to, you know, make content that's shareable that people want to share. So I'm into it. They also have a ton of different classes for leveling up your social media accounts and different platforms. I've seen a bunch of Instagram story classes, kind of how to level up your aesthetic, how to make gifts. So if you do not know what Skillshare is, 
It is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography, creative writing, IT, productivity, and more. And don't think that this is specifically for people who are artistic because they have classes on public speaking. They have classes on how to give a better massage. The options are seriously endless, so there is something for everybody, which I think is really cool. So whether you're returning to a long-time passion project, a side hustle, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or maybe just exploring something new, you know, Skillshare has classes for you. You can take classes on how to work with complicated software, and these are the ones that really interest me, like Lightroom or other Adobe programs. There is so much to learn, and if you're like me, you're probably just barely scratching the surface. It's so important to always be improving your skills, whatever they may be, and we are firm believers of that here on the What We Said podcast. We love Skillshare. We strongly believe in always being a student and a lifelong learner. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our beautiful listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That is correct. You heard me right. Skillshare is offering what we said listeners, two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash what we said. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash what we said to start your two months now. That is Skillshare.com slash what we said. All right. Mine is also in Arizona, but mine takes place in the 1930s. 1920s, 1930s. Okay. So we're throwing it back. It's Throwback Tuesday. The following article might explain why the first woman executed in Arizona also became the last woman executed in Arizona. Let's just say it did not go as planned. She was sentenced to hang for the murder of a rancher she was employed with after his buried body was miraculously discovered 11 months after the murder. So according to a Wikipedia article, this is just like, you know, the preface. According to a Wikipedia article, she was married, you know, Wikipedia, that's the most reliable source on the internet. She was married five times and all of her husbands disappeared, assuming she killed them, a safe assumption that would make her a serial killer. Five husbands mm-hmm. and they all disappeared. Mrs. Dugan, Mrs. Eva Dugan, was convicted of murdering A.J. Mathis, an aged rancher on the desert near Tucson. Okay. Mathis is the rancher. Okay, remember that? He was last seen January 14th, 1927 about a month after he had employed Mrs. Dugan as his housekeeper. A couple days after he was last seen alive, Mrs. Dugan and a mysterious 17-year-old boy who they called Jack dropped from sight and left the ranch. So okay. they saw him alive. A couple days later, they left the ranch. This 17-year-old Jack boy, I don't know why they call him Jack, he showed up to the ranch a couple days before um, Mathis was last. Yeah. Okay. So they found out later that after they had left the ranch, they went and sold some cows and chickens for money. And I think they sold his car as well and signed the papers like A.J. Mathis and um, Ava Mathis, like saying like pretending to be the rancher and his wife, even though it was his housekeeper and some random 17-year-old boy. But after discovering the body of Mathis on December 11th, 1927 by J.F. Nash, uh, like somebody randomly came across um, the spot where they had buried his body. So they miraculously, 11 months later, found the body on his land. Hold on. How old is Mrs. Dugan? Do we know? Like, um, is she young or is it weird that she's with a 17-year-old boy? I think he. I think she's older at this point. Like how old though? Like 25? Um, let me see. I think it's, 
It says that she died at the age of 52. Okay, so she must have been about 45 maybe. So I don't okay. know. So why is she with a 17-year-old? Yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah. Okay, so after they sold this car, they were planning and they bought tickets to go to Kansas City. But then the body was found. So then they found her. I think she was in New York. And she was arrested. They returned to Tucson, and she was convicted of first-degree murder. She was originally sentenced to be hanged on June 1st, 1928, but it had obtained a stay of execution upon appeal to the state Supreme Court in December 1929. The Supreme Court affirmed the judgment of conviction and resentenced her to be hanged on February 21st, 1920, exactly two years from the date her trial began. So she tried to plead, like, insane or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they declined it. So she was going to be hanged. So the weirdest, the whole part of the story to me that was most fascinating was not even necessarily the murder in itself, but it's because she was the only woman hung in Arizona and she was also the last because of this heinous thing that happened. So um, this is the record of the day that she was hung in the gallows. Mrs. Dugan, unshaken, calmly climbed the 13 steps to the gallows and smiled as the black hood was adjusted over her head. She said she had no statement to make. Warden Wright clasped her hand and said, God bless you, Eva. Mrs. Dugan smiled and said, goodbye, Daddy Wright. Don't know who the heck that is. But a few seconds later, the steel trap was sprung and Eva Dugan had canceled her debt to society for the crime of which she was convicted. Warden Wright created a sensation a few minutes before the hanging by revealing to newspaper men the discovery of what he believed was a plot by Mrs. Dugan to cheat gallows by taking poison before she was removed to the death chamber. So she tried to poison herself because she didn't want to be, you know. Right hanged or hung or whatever. Acting on a tip that the woman had procured a poison dose, Wright said he transferred her from her prison cell to the condemned chamber about 1 a.m. A search of the abandoned cell, the warden said, led to the discovery beneath a mattress of a two-ounce bottle of a deadly poison. The bottle, he said, bore the labor of Florence Drugstore. A search of her person a few minutes later disclosed three safety razor blades. Wright said the woman apparently intended to commit suicide but was prevented from taking it by the vigilance of the guards. An investigation has begun to explore the source of the poison and the razor blades. So this is like an actual record from that time that's why it's like in kind of present tense which is giving me creepy vibes but the reason she murdered him is what they said and kind of what they found out is that she wanted to you know gain access and become the owner of the property of his property um which obviously did not happen but she was a 52 year old housekeeper um so weird when you think about like that she's an older woman she wants to just take over she spent the hours preceding her execution in the company of the prison chaplain and a few friends. Until after midnight, she sat at a card table and played wits with two women friends and a woman prisoner while outside her cell, the death watch paced back and forth. Occasionally, she reached out to caress a telegram which lay on the table, a farewell message from her daughter, Mrs. Cecile Loveless. During the course of the game, Miss Dugan requested that her guest be served with orangeade. Several minutes passed before the drink was served, and the condemned woman called to a guard, Please bring on the orangeade. I want it now. Tomorrow will be too late. It's like sad. Oh, God. Since early evening, the sky had been overcast, and a light rain was pattering on the graveled pathway as the woman was led from her cell to the prison proper across an open space to the death cell. She smoked a cigarette and joked with guards as she marched along, and as they neared the gallows house, she laughed and sang, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. She kissed two of the guards who left her at the door of the death house and said, I love everyone connected with the prison. You have all been good to me, and I can't blame you for what the law is going to do to me. So she gets up to the gallows. 
The trap was sprung. Also, people watch this. So there's like a crowd of people watching this. Um, the trap was sprung at 5.02 a.m. And, and as the trap clanged and she dropped more than six feet, the noose tightened, severing her head. Oh. And the body catapulted to the floor. Dr. L.A. Love, prison physician, pronounced her dead immediately. Like, obviously. But there were women watching and they like, a couple women fainted and they had to like clear the room and it was this awful thing. And that's why they never have done that again. Because, oh. excuse me. Excuse me. That? And that really is the end of Mrs. Eva Dugan, the 52-year-old housekeeper. Oh. Who could have been a serial killer, but we'll never know. When it's old time like that, it's so crazy to me. Yeah. The things just like that happen. You're just picturing like a 20s like Western movie. Yeah. Like in the gallows. She's like kissing Kate or something. Oh my gosh. That yeah. That is a heinous Yeah, that's heinous. Story. Yeah. Wowza. Okay, well, should we end on a lighter note? Yes. Okay. We're ending with a quote. We used to do That's What They Said segments. I haven't done about that in a minute. So we're doing a little quote. Um, I find a lot of quotes on Pinterest. I love Pinterest. Mm -hmm. My favorite for inspiration for photos and for just really good quotes. And a lot of people do like cute typography and like really cute letters and stuff. So you can have them as your backgrounds if you want. Anyway. This is one that I had saved. Um, it says, you're busy doubting yourself while some people are intimidated by your potential. Ooh, I love that. And that made me think, you know, not that you want to think of yourself as like, you know, ooh, people are intimidated by me. But mm -hmm. I think that's really true in a lot of ways. Like, we were just talking, Chelsea, about how people are, everyone's insecure mm -hmm. about something. People you would never think are, they are insecure. Yeah, people when you meet them and you think they have no, you think they're perfect and they live this awesome life and that they're just killing it at life. Mm -hmm. You get to know them better and you realize that they are just normal people who have trials and insecurities, insecurities just like everyone else. And I think that's really important to keep in mind because, I don't know, not that it makes you feel better, but kind of because people are looking, like I know for a fact that I have a ton of insecurities and I doubt myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll get messages. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, but then I'll get messages of people like, you know, looking up to me and whatever. And so I think that's true for every single person. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. And it's kind of freeing to think of it like that because then you realize that you do have a lot of potential and other people recognize that and you should recognize that and not let, you know… Don't doubt yourself, I guess. Yeah. I'm to say. No, I agree with that. You like it? Yeah, I love that. Okay. Know that everyone's intimidated by you. Know that you can destroy anyone. <laughs> um, destroy. No. Just be confident, guys. Yeah. We all have unique stuff about us, and that's what makes life cool. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our little true crime episode. Actually, you guys should let us know what um, true crime like documentaries you guys have listened like, to mm -hmm. lately, loved lately. Um, or podcast. I'll give a recommendation that a lot of people have been giving to me that I actually have never listened to. Crime Junkie. I've heard of that one. Yeah, I haven't listened to it either though. A lot of people listen to Crime Junkie. Um, so that's a recommendation if you're into it. I, my I really, Favorite Murder for sure, but I'm sure you guys have already heard that one. Yeah. I haven't listened to My Favorite Murder in a long time actually. Really? Say. Yeah. I was into it for a while, but I, I just like haven't. I think it's just because I took my little hiatus. But anyway, um, let us know what you thought on our latest Instagram at what we said podcast and 
like always, we appreciate your guys' rating and reviews so much. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to rate the podcast, that would be amazing. And you can just do it on the Apple Podcast app. It's super easy and really simple. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to screenshot it and put it on your Instagram story. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. And that's, that's what, what we, we said. said. Goodbye. Goodbye.